Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Greetings, everybody. It's our Celebrity Divorce Day, and we're going to have fun like we always do, using celebrities as our prism through which we look at the aspects of our own divorce. One of the hardest assets to deal with is the house. And when you're a celebrity, you probably have an expensive home and maybe several of them. Our two celebrity divorces today are Kelly Clarkson, winner of American Idol, singer, and talk show host, and her music manager, former husband, the the divorce was final in September of 2021, Brandon Blackstock. Our other divorce is Katie Maloney Schwartz and Tom Schwartz, maybe not as well known to all of you listening, but to some of you, you will know that they are two of the stars of the Bravo uh, reality series, Vanderpump Rules, taking place at Sir Restaurant in West Hollywood and Tom Tom on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. All of those Vanderpump restaurants are now are now all centered in West Hollywood. Real estate was part of these divorces and our topic for today. Real estate is expensive. Most times it's the most valuable asset people have and the hardest asset to move forward in many cases by the time the divorce can become final. So for you to know that you can make decisions on how to transfer real estate, divide real estate, conclude the division of that asset, and it doesn't have to be done by the time the divorce is final, as long as you write about it in the settlement agreement. The reason why It's very difficult to conclude is because it can be complicated and it's emotional. So it's emotional and financial. Emotions drive the initial decision. Then logic sets in or not. It can get crazier, more complicated, and back to emotional if you don't let logic drive your decision-making. And sometimes it takes time for logic to set in. It really does because we're so emotional when we're getting divorced. And even though we think we may have resolved all of our emotional issues by the time we file, I am telling you that emotional roller coaster kicks up and goes into high speed when you least expect it. Things like moving out of the house really trigger emotions, especially if there are children involved. So let's look at Katie Maloney Schwartz and Tom Schwartz first, because they were the more amicable. And then we're going to get into Kelly Clarkson and, and Brandon Blackstock. Here's what happens Well, hold on a minute. Sorry about that. I wanted to read from you a press release. That's what I wanted to do first about Katie Maloney Schwartz and Tom Schwartz. And then you're going to see how well they thought this through and why theirs turned out amicable. Three months after announcing their split, Katie Maloney Schwartz and Tom Schwartz recently moved out of their former house and into separate residences. However, before deciding to sell the beautiful Valley Village abode, they discussed their options and one in, in, and one of them uh, would be buying the other out. But they decided to sell it instead. And here's what Katie had to say. We would have loved to stay there, but it's too much house for one person. And that was on the June 10th episode of her Dear Media podcast, You're Gonna Love Me. Quote, I originally was dying to stay there. I would have done anything to stay there. But then realistic thoughts entered my mind. And I was like, wait a minute, how could I afford to stay here? I mean, with two incomes, with two people, yes, it's totally doable. But on my own, yikes. I mean, I could not have afforded a mortgage like that on my own. It's very, very expensive, end quote. On top of that, she added, 
you have the utilities of a house. And like that house, it's also very expensive. And then you have a gardener and you have a pool person and property taxes. And, you know, it gets to be a lot. So it just fiscally did not make sense. The sensible thing to do was just to sell it and part ways and not try and stay there and what? Get roommates? No, I'm good on that. So, yeah, we are both living in our own little places now. That was about the most reasonable statement anybody could make. And it was just packed with logic. So here, the first thing she said was it was emotional. They love their home. And if you've ever seen the video of their home, I love it too. I would want to stay there if I were one of them at the onset of divorce talk. But then she became very practical. So I'm going to guess that before she became very practical, and I'm kind of betting Tom was practical from the get-go, just watching that show. Yes, guilty pleasure. I watched the show. Tom seems to be more down to earth. Katie is very strong, very strong-willed, very forceful personality. She's definitely alpha, but she can get emotional. And she did. But then she came off of that emotion and she became very logical and she thought it through. She cost it out. They don't have children, so they didn't have to consider, you know, what do the kids want to do? We'll get to that when we break this down in a few minutes uh, for just everybody else getting divorced. Uh, But she really cost it out. She looked at the mortgage, the property taxes. And the upkeep. And in Southern California, who doesn't have a pool? If you have a a beautiful home, you have a pool. If you bought it and it was an older home and it doesn't have a pool, believe me, you put a pool in. So they had a pool. So she cost that out and she became very realistic. And then she said one thing that some people do resort to if it works for them. And that's very subjective. And that is roommates. What, did we want roommates, she said? And she said, no, no roommates. So that's a very specific thing to take in roommates. And I have dealt with people that either had a guest house in the back or the house was laid out in a way that you could have a roommate and that you wouldn't step on one another. And if you have children and you're considering taking in a roommate, oh, that is a world of mediation to deal with because now the other parent is going to be uncomfortable. It always, always happens because you're inviting a stranger. If you don't have somebody that's already ready to move in and both spouses know the person and like the person and put their stamp of approval on the person, well, then the other spouse who's not living there and you have children, No, they're going to have a hard time with that. I haven't, I really haven't been in a mediation yet where the other spouse who's moving out was completely comfortable with the idea of putting an ad in the paper and getting a roommate. When a situation like that occurs, a different discussion takes place. If a roommate is really needed in order to allow the person staying in the house, excuse me, allow the person staying in the house to be able to afford it, then things like, well, I want to meet the roommate. Well, no, you can't. This is my deal. I'm living there. Uh Uh-uh. This person is in the house with my child. I want to meet the person. I want to put my stamp of approval on the person. That's really been what I've listened to in mediations. And and can you understand that? I mean, everybody's protective of their children. When significant new partners are introduced into the relationship, that's kind of like having a roommate. And it, it becomes a sticky situation. So if a roommate is the only way the person who wants to stay in the house can stay in the house, you really have to be sensitive to the other parent's needs. And you have to understand if the other parent is protective about their child, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to meet the roommate and give their stamp of approval 
or you're not going to get the buy-in. I mean, there has to be some compromise and flexibility here. If you want the other parent to buy into having a roommate, you have to let the other parent be comfortable with that situation. God knows what you're letting into your house. I mean, the way people present themselves in interviews and even what you can find out if you do a financial search, it's just different than actually living with that person in the house. That is a whole world of new stuff. I mean, look, it was different from dating your spouse (laughs) to living with your spouse. That, you know, you have to get used to that. There are challenges that go along with that. There are habits that go along with that. Smoking, drinking, marijuana, any type of drugs. I mean, what are you going to do? How is that conversation introduced If there are minor children. And then if you're going to get a roommate and you're getting a roommate to allow you to build up equity, if you're the one staying in the house before you can refinance, get a loan to get your other spouse off title, how long is that going to take? Is the other spouse willing to wait? I mean, these are serious decisions because when you go to get divorced, that's an asset that really the court would like you to divide now, get rid of it, move it forward so everybody can have financial gain. But it's just not the way it works out. So unless you're going to a trial or a hearing, it's up to both of you to work out these details and make them equitable, though. You know, don't let them completely slant in one person's favor because the other person then becomes resentful. The other person, the one who moves out of the house, they become resentful at a certain point. And you need that person for co-parenting. You don't want them to become resentful because of the way they had to compromise on Letting you have the house, not taking their equity. Maybe they can't buy a house until they get their equity out of the house they're moving out of. You have to be sensitive to this and you can't really use, but this is for your children. No, it's really for you. It's really for the parent who wants to stay in the house. It's not for the children. And I'm going to tell you why. You can go on YouTube and you can download a number of videos that only have children talking about their experience in the divorce, their fears and concerns and questions before the divorce is filed for, if they're told at that point, how they wrestle with those decisions. And one of those decisions is, well, are we going to have to move out of the house? Okay, that's familiar. That's a rock to them. And I completely understand when parents want to make this a priority. It's completely logical that you would be concerned about your children and anything that you can do to diminish upheaval in their lives because divorce is the biggest upheaval. Unless you're fighting all the time, and let me tell you, kids want the quiet and they're happy with the divorce. But the house, dealing with the house is one of the big issues for children when they're questioned about, you know, well, what was your thinking? What were you afraid of? What were you worried about? And they will say the house among many other things. And then they will say, and it's in every bloody video, but none of that mattered at the end of the day as long as our parents got along. And this is the message I want any of you to take with you who are at this point of having to deal with the house. Maybe it will be disconcerting for the children initially to move out of the house, but you can make it better, A, by uh, presenting a united front to them, by not arguing, By having them help pick out the new place as if you both have to get new places, which I'm assuming you do, if the house is going to get sold, let the kids be part of it. That will let them feel like they have control and that's what they need. 
They need to feel like there's some level of control in this out of control situation called divorce. And if you let them engage in that, they're going to be a lot easier to deal with when you move. But honestly, the kids are resilient. The kids have no skin in this game. The kids didn't pay for the house. The kids aren't keeping up the house. And the kids will adjust to a new place. Well, if it's presentable, if they don't lose their friends, if they don't have to move to a new school district, I mean, that is a lot of change. And I'm sure you've all thought about this if you're parents. But it is what it is. I mean, if you have to sell it, you have to sell it. But if you allow your children to be part of the uh, search for the house and give their thumbs up on what you can afford, the options and what you can afford, and there is minimal upheaval in the other aspects of their lives, I think you're going to do okay. But that was very cool how Katie and Tom resolved this. They both moved out. They're going to sell it. They're going to get a decent price for it. They better sell it now because home prices are going down in California. They really are. And everywhere. I was looking at buying a condo in another state. I just said, wait a minute. Let's let's see where the dust settles. This is an interesting market right now to be talking about a house. Okay, let's go to Kelly and Brandon. And I'm going to read two press releases to you. The first one is, and it was from October of last year. The title of this article is, Ex-Hubby Mistakenly Thinks He Could Still Get Montana Ranch. Okay, this is really interesting. Kelly Clarkson's ex-husband may want to make a quick phone call to his lawyer because he may not be fully up to speed in their divorce. Now, remember, this was written on October of last year. Brandon Blackstock landed at LAX Tuesday of whatever week we're in and made a flat statement that the judge hasn't ruled on who gets the Montana ranch, obviously to paparazzi. Fact is, the judge has laid down the law. Brandon challenged the prenup he signed and had the judge bought his argument, everything he and Kelly earned during the marriage uh, and acquired with earnings in the marriage would be community property. But... After a trial, the judge ruled the prenup was valid, which meant Kelly's earnings and acquisitions were hers and hers alone. In fact, according to the judge's order, which was signed September 30th, 2021, the judge specifically rejected Brandon's claim, saying the court therefore rejects respondents, Brandon's, position that the Montana ranch and other Montana properties Remember I said there's multiple properties in a lot of these celebrity divorces. Our marital property owned 50-50 by the parties. That's what Brandon um, uh, claimed and the court reject that, that proposition. TMZ broke the story because you know TMZ is my Bible, of course. Kelly is trying to get Brandon to leave the ranch, but so far he's staying put. A source with direct knowledge tells TMZ, at this point, Kelly views Brandon as a squatter and is figuring out how to get him removed. The divorce became final in September 2021, and the judge still must lay down, nail down, sorry, all the property and custody issues. Okay, so that was back in October. This came out this month, June of 2022, and here's the headline. Kelly Clarkson's ex-husband, Brandon Blackstock, moved out of Montana Ranch, but remains a thorn in her side. He didn't go quietly. The article starts. Kelly Clarkson's ex-husband, Brandon Blackstock, has moved out of the singer's Montana Ranch two years after their split, U.S. Weekly confirms. Us Weekly, sorry. The music manager, 45, wanted to fight the order, but was ultimately talked out of it, the insider tells us exclusively. 
Though his departure is one Clarkson 40 has been rooting for, sources say Blackstock is always asking for more and being a constant thorn in her side. Let me just break away from the article a second. That happens a lot. I've done several celebrity divorces and there's been a ton of property. The one who makes less money keeps asking for more. It's really true. And I find in non-celebrity divorces, after the legally supporting community property is divided, if there's an inheritance or if there's a lot of money somewhere else gifted to one of the spouses who's the wealthier spouse, the other spouse keeps wanting to argue for more. Wants property rights, wants acquisition to the property. It's very, very hard for the other person to let go if there's a lot of wealth on the other side. I mean, I understand that as a human being. I understand it, but, you know, don't do it. It it really makes the other person look small, petty, and quite annoying. And if you have children, like Kelly Clarkson and Brandon do, it bleeds into the co-parenting. It really does. And the co-parenting has to be the best it can be. These kids deserve better. And this is just stuff. You can't get wrapped up with ego that one person has more stuff than the other. You just can't. It just is the way it is. You know, Kelly does more things than Brandon can do, I guess, with singing, the television show, the tours, the commercials that she's doing. Is it overstock.com? I forget what commercial she's doing, but it's it's adorable. So you just can't get wrapped up into that, though. You got to focus on the kids. The kids couldn't care less about how much money each parent has. They don't care. They care about their attachment to the parent. They care about their relationship with each parent. They care about what each parent can give them that feeds their soul, that feeds their mind, that makes them happy. They care about the time you spend with them and the memories you're creating. That's really what everybody needs to focus on, the memories you're creating. All right, back to the article. The property has been a major point of contention throughout the divorce proceedings following the filing in June 2020. That's when they initially filed. Blackstock previously testified that he wants to leave the entertainment industry and become a full-time rancher. Okay, when I read this, I died. I literally died. First of all, to become a full-time rancher is a big change. I don't know if Brandon grew up in the wild, wild west, who knows, but that takes a lot getting used to. But how serendipitous that the Montana ranch is the bone of contention. And now I believe Brandon is using this as a logic point for him getting part of the ranch. It's really funny how people try and manipulate and maneuver things. And even in the divorces that I have worked on, people will come to me, come to the mediation and say, you know, if it's about co-parenting, you know, I was thinking of semi-retiring. I'm really exhausted. I need to cut back on my the work output I do. Okay, so no, you're not. Let's just say no, you're not. You have children. You both need to earn as much money as you can possibly earn. Really and truly, you do. These kids deserve better. You don't You don't pull back on what you can make. You put pedal to the metal and both parents need to increase what they make to give themselves and their kids the best lifestyle. No such thing as the child support game. There's no game like that. Everybody knows that if somebody doesn't want to pay child support, they're going to cut back. They're going to change what they do for a living and make less. Please, please, loser's game. Okay, back to the article. The Miss Independent Singer wanted to sell the Montana ranch, which she bought and was listed as the sole owner of, but her her ex-husband claimed that he needed it for his business. His business is a a rancher, by the way. I'm sorry, this makes me smile. 
In uh, Back to the article. In August 2021, a judge ruled that Blackstock would be responsible for the costs of maintaining the ranch, about 81000 a month, while the legal battle continued. Clarkson lost a bid to evict her ex from the property the following December. The next month, the Grammy winner agreed to give the talent manager 5.12% of the land, equaling $908,800 of its total value of $17,750,000. I guess that was to start the ranching part. So here's what Kelly did. She did what everybody has to do. Instead of paying legal bills and giving your money to the attorneys, sorry, attorneys, we know we need you, but there's a point where maybe giving up some money in a settlement costs us less than paying attorney's fees. And so I guess that's what Kelly did. She made the compromise. She put the word fair aside. There's nothing fair. It's just expensive. And she made what I would assume to be is the uh, less costly financial decision and gave up some of the land so that Brandon could say he won. So Brandon could become a rancher. I guess he fell in love with the vibe on the Montana ranch. And so that he could be the sole support of himself on that property. Back to the article. A financial settlement was finally hammered out in March well, March of this year, 2022, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Scott Gordon ruled that Blackstock could only stay at the ranch until June 1st. He was ordered to pay his ex $12,500 per month in rent, but Clarkson pays him more each month in other support issues. Per legal docs, Blackstock will receive $115,000 each month in spousal support from Clarkson until January 2024. Short-term marriage, short-term spousal support. Or, because I really don't know the reasoning for the settlement, or it was because they just had to hammer out their own individual details with spousal support uh, in order for Kelly to give up part of the ranch. I'm just guessing on this one, to be honest with you, but this is kind of where people are at. They start making deals and they start me- moving pieces of, pieces of the puzzle around uh, so that everybody can become satisfied at some point. Back to the article. The Kelly Clarkson Show host also pays $45,601 a month in child support to Blackstock. She has primary custody of their children, River 8 and Remy 6, and their dad has one weekend with them each month while he lives in Montana. The custody agreement would be reevaluated if he moved to another state. He will spend most of the summer in Montana and will have unlimited access to the ranch, the source tells us weekly. He also plans on traveling to Los Angeles to see the kids, but it won't be on a routine basis. I have to tell you, this all sounds weird. He gets one weekend a month while he's in Montana, reevaluated if he moves anywhere else. He's got them one weekend of the month and she still pays $45,601 a month and she has primary custody in most of the days. Can you imagine what she makes? I mean, this is a portion, a percentage of what she makes and he makes. Oh my God. That show must be very successful and bravo. The American Idol alum has been candid about the difficulties of divorce on her daytime talk show. When she sat down with the Chicks, Dixie Chicks, members Natalie Maines, Marty McGuire, and Emily Strayer earlier this month, meaning this month, June, she revealed that her gal pals have been a source of comfort. So we all went through divorces, Clarkson began. How did you find strength? And not just music. I think it's therapeutic. She's so smart about this. But like your female friendships, I feel like this has really helped me. The country stars agreed, calling themselves divorce buddies. As her divorce wraps up, Clarkson is starting to date again. Ah, introducing significant others into the relationship. 
It's hard for Kelly to find time for romance with her schedule because she's paying all this support and she's continuing to work. She's not doing the support game. This woman continues to work and good for her, but her friends are still into setting her up. Okay, well, that was just a cute little aside. We learned a lot from that. She has multiple properties, but it was the Montana property that was in contention. So I don't know why. Maybe the Montana property was purchased during the marriage and the other properties were before the marriage. And that's why Brandon wants it. I don't know. But anyway, that became more contentious and that ended up in a trial. They didn't work their decisions, uh, their um, settlement out, out of court. I guarantee you, Katie and Tom are not going to trial. I guarantee you they'll spend the least amount of money on their divorce. She'll keep what she has. He'll keep what he has. There is that loan they took against the house for Tom to reinvest in that other bar. That has to be sorted out because that came up on some other episode. But it sounds like they're going to be able to do it on their own. And that's really, really terrific. Now... Here's what happens with most divorces when the house is the largest asset and some complicated situations arise. So we're going to go through six of them. A, well, number one, there are children and mom wants to stay in the house but can't afford it. Well, the the other spouse can continue to pay for the house until mom can make more money and refinance the house to buy the other spouse out. that That is one option, and that has happened, but it's going to be for a short period of time. There probably won't be spousal support. Probably paying for the house will be negotiated instead of spousal support. Uh, more than likely, there will still be child support. But there will be a finite amount of time put in the settlement agreement so that we can see what happens. And I guarantee you mom's going to have to get another job or up her income. I A lot of times what happens is mom has a part-time job so she can still be with the kids, pick the kids up from school. But mom's going to have to do some adjustment as well and make more money. Always, always, always mom has some kind of obligation if dad is going to say, okay, I'll keep up, I'll I'll keep paying for the house, but only until this time. And at this time, if you're not making more money, then we're going to have to reevaluate more than likely selling the house is going to be part of the deal. And the other aspect of this is child and spousal support will probably not be enough to uh, do a good loan-to-value ratio needed for a mortgage. So when when you're trying to get a mortgage, you have to have enough incomes to support an 80-20 loan-to-value ratio. So the mortgage company wants to know that you have enough money to pay the mortgage and they want to look at all of your expenses and they will take in child and spousal support. Next week, by the way, we're going to have a mortgage broker on and she's going to go through what this loan-to-value ratio is, how long child and spousal support will have to be paid before it will be considered a consistent piece of income and revenue against which to look at a loan. And so she's going to be very helpful with this. But um, if the person who wants to stay in the house can't afford it right now, but probably can in a few years, if it's not a, uh, if it is an amicable divorce and not a contentious divorce, quite often the other spouse will continue to pay expenses for a little bit of time. Okay, number two, one spouse doesn't want to get divorced. Maybe this spouse is addicted to drugs or alcohol. Maybe the spouse has an issue with consistent income and won't sign the paperwork to put the house on the market. Now, what do you do? You have to go to court. Well, you have to get legal advice. Always you have to get legal advice, but then you have to go to court and the judge will force the sale of the house because the court really wants everything to be divided equally. If there's an issue, that's what they're going to rule on. They're going to rule on the side of what does the state say? And if, you know, if it's community property, then uh, more than likely, I'll just say more than likely, you never know. You have to give the judges an out. 
but more than likely the house will be ordered to be sold. Well, what if, let's carry this uh, one spouse is addicted to drug theme forward more. What if that person is constantly in rehab? Um, the, the court will be the signatory on the paperwork. And so it, 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 if the spouse is in rehab, then there's a couple ways the spouse can appear at the hearing. Well, they cannot appear at all and they will have to have a lawyer appear for them. And that's fine. That The, the court will accept that. Or the hearing will have to be when the spouse is out of rehab, if lawyers aren't involved, so that the spouse can appear and speak for him or herself. But just know that the option is you can file for a hearing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a trial, but you can file for a hearing and let the court make the decision whether the house will be sold or not, then that spouse who's addicted can decide whether they're going to play ball, sign off on everything, but they kind of have to be of sound mind at the same time. So you have to make sure they haven't taken drugs. You have to make sure they drug test. You have to make sure that they're uh, capable of signing these documents. If not, then the court will be the signatory. Number three, the community property value isn't either agreed upon or even that it is community property. So here are some options. There are some situations under this. It was owned by one spouse prior to the marriage and the other spouse hasn't wasn't put on the title. Okay, so if it was owned by one spouse before the marriage and the other spouse wasn't put on the title, that still doesn't mean it's not going to become community property. And this is what everybody doesn't understand. So first of all, what do I always say? Get legal advice. Get legal advice so you really understand, especially in your state, if it's not a community property state, if it's an equitable division of assets state, you still need legal advice on what it means if the other spouse was never put on the title. So let's talk about a community property state. And of course, I live in California. If the other spouse who's not on title pays the mortgage, pays the property taxes, has invested in the upkeep um, and the refurbishing of the house, you've just made it community property. If there's no prenup, if the monies that the spouse on title makes is used to pay the mortgage, monies that we make between date of marriage and date of separation are community property dollars, and you've just created community property, but it's not all community property. It's what we call quasi-community, part community, part separate. So there's there are these formulas and most mediators know these formulas and certainly the attorneys know these formulas that kick into place and they will show you how to separate out the equity that would become separate property to the person who bought it previously, and then to the portion that becomes community property. So there are formulas to give back to the original owner what is due them, what they invested in the house as a down payment, uh, and all the mortgage payments, all the expenses that can uh, get repaid, there's a formula for that. And then you look at date of marriage to date of separation and maybe a little beyond. Uh, what now is that community property equity that is to be divided? Uh, another option under that is that it was owned by one spouse prior to the marriage and the other spouse paid part of the mortgage property taxes and made some improvements. Okay, I'm sorry. I just answered that. I just answered that. Um, I, I, I think my my message by and large though about being on title, it does you don't have to be on title for it to be community property. I think that was really my message initially. And then what I just said, uh, if the other spouse has put money into the property, they've just created community property, but you need an attorney or somebody to do the formula for you. 
And the other option I was thinking of was the house was owned by one spouse during the marriage, and that spouse had a separate source of money that existed prior to the marriage that was used to pay mortgage, property tax, or improvements. Ah, now you really need legal advice because potentially this house isn't community at all. If the, if, if, the, if the new spouse was not on title ever and not on mortgage and no community property dollars were used to pay the mortgage and the property taxes and any refurbishing of the house, you have a, a big discussion, a big discussion with an attorney about whether this was community property or not. I will say no more because that's a tough discussion to have. But you know what? Before I leave this point, again, it gets down to how amicable do you want your divorce to be? And let's just say the owner of the house, the one who's on title, had a separate source of income to pay all of the expenses. And the new spouse paid not a penny to live there. And say an attorney tells you this isn't community property. The other spouse is going to want something, generally, generally. Once in a while, no. You know, once in a while, they say, you know what? I I would have had to pay rent somewhere else. I would have had housing expenses somewhere else. So that's okay. I never had to put a dime into the property. I don't expect anything back. Wouldn't that be fabulous? If that spouse said that, but what if what if that spouse says something else? Listen, you have this house, you have all this other money that was used to keep the house up to pay the mortgage, but I lived here and I was married to you. And, you know, I just feel like something should be paid to me. That's where you decide how amicable you want your divorce to be. And a lot of people just say, I'm just going to give you something out of the house, maybe $10,000, something, just to make you feel like I cared, just to make you feel like I honored you as a spouse. People do that too. They go around the lawn and they say, no, I just want you to have this. People actually do that. And that saves you so much money on attorney's fees and you don't have to go to trial. All right, number four. There is a prenup that clearly states the house isn't community property, but the mortgage was paid for with community property money. Well, you really have to go to an attorney. It really depends on how the prenup was written. If the prenup was written that the house is not community property, the other spouse doesn't have to pay a cent to live there. And any monies used to pay down the mortgage, the property taxes, the upkeep, the refurbishment of the house has a special exception. Those dollars earned on the job uh, will not be considered community property dollars if they're assigned to the house. Because here's the overall issue. Monies that we make, in a community property state, especially in California, monies that we make on our jobs between date of date of marriage and date of separation are community property dollars. And anything used to buy things, any of that money used to buy things creates community property. So that prenup has to be really, really, really written tight and written with examples, different scenarios. Because this is what's going to take place uh, if there's going to be a divorce. There's going to be an argument. People don't care how the prenup was written quite often. What they want is what they want, seriously. And then you have to go to the court. You have to have the judge rule on the prenup. And this is why, by the way, a lot of attorneys won't do prenups. Because then they are exposing themselves to malpractice. Number of different reasons, but for the most part, Laws for prenups change frequently. And so when you write a prenup today, it has to be written in a way that it accommodates for any unforeseen changes in the law in the future. And then the attorneys, the the both attorneys, because you should have two attorneys. If you're going to have a prenup, you should have two attorneys, one representing each 
spouse. And those attorneys are going to be called in. The way they wrote the prenup is going to be under the microscope in order for the prenup to hold water if it's challenged in court. All right, another aspect. What does the prenup say about using community funds for the house? Okay, so I broke, I really did break it down. The prenup has to clearly state what isn't going to be community and what will be community. Because here's what I do when I get people in for uh, prenup mediations. I don't write prenups. I'm a mediator. I don't write prenups. Even paralegals don't write prenups. Only attorneys write prenups. But when I get people in to negotiate what's going to be in the prenup, which saves them a little money going to attorneys, I say, okay, it's very easy to, to delineate and say what's not going to be in the prenup or what's not going to be community property. But it's very difficult to look at, well, what is? And then they look at me because they've never really thought about it this way. Everybody just thinks about what they want to protect. But then you have to look at going forward. Well, are you going to create any community property? How do you avoid creating community property? You know, you want to, you may want to buy a timeshare. You may want to buy rental property. You may want to invest in other things. I don't know. These, these REITs, you know, these real estate investments. So what isn't going to be community property and what is? So defining what is is really, really important going forward. And then abiding by the prenup, really understanding what the prenup says. A lot of times people violate the prenup mostly because they think they're never going to get divorced. It will never need the prenup. They violate it and then they actually get divorced and they violated it. And, and now you really have to hire attorneys to sort it out. I mean, I've had these mediations, but sometimes if one person is obstinate, if one person, uh, Generally, the person who earns less, makes less, isn't as good as making money as at making money as the other person. This is the person who really objects. Everybody has to hire attorneys, and they'll sort it out for you. Number five: sell the house and reinvest the money. This is so clean and easy. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, if you have children and you feel, as so many parents do, that you don't want to sell the house because you feel that this will uh, disrupt the children's uh, foundation, uh, will make the children insecure, they've gone through so much, you know, divorce is affecting them too. All of these very good arguments, absolutely, but they get over it. They get over it. You can keep the kids in the house and you're still going to end up sending them to therapy. If you are contentious, if your co-parenting skills are bad, if you're still arguing, if you put the children in the middle as messengers, if you're crying and talking about the other parent, if you're displaying your emotions in front of the kids and they're not good, the kids are going to be in therapy anyway. Selling the house is the least of their issues. Watching their parents argue is where it's at. And so, yes, the house may hold a lot of memories. You still got to sell it. That's reality. Katie and Tom, you still have to sell it. If that's the smartest financial decision to make, you still have to sell it. Or here's what other people have done. They keep it as a business investment. And they both participate in the upkeep of the mortgage, the property taxes, refurbishing the house. I've had couples come and do that. So now the person leaving the house has skin in the game, so to speak. They will participate in partly paying all of these expenses for the house, but then they will reap financial gain later. And when we were in the hottest real estate market ever, because it's cooling off now, that was really a good decision for some people to make. And I saw more people making that decision over the last whatever, how many years, because real estate got crazy. 
and prices kept going up. So they were waiting till they sold it. They didn't want to sell it. And, but they were able to talk about it and they put it in the settlement agreement. And that was great. And then as they see the housing market topping off, then you can put it on sale. So that's really the best of both worlds in this situation uh, about selling the house. And then lastly, and this is the toughest of all, the house is underwater, meaning the mortgage is more, um, meaning that the, that the, there's no equity. Whatever you owe in the mortgage exceeds any equity in the house, which means there's no equity. That's the toughest situation of all. So you either keep the house and you both participate in paying for it, even though one person may live there. Somehow you work out a deal that's finan- that financially makes sense for both of you so that one person can continue to live there and wait to sell the house. Otherwise, if your house is underwater, you're going to short sell it. No one's going to make money. And when you short sell it, you still have to kick in money to get it sold. So what's the point? You know, what really is the point? If you can, you keep the house. You figure out who's going to live there. You figure out how it's going to get paid for. And then at some point you sell it when there's some equity or there's at least a break even point. Or you both continue to live there. Okay, that's weird and strange. But people do. They really do. They figure out if there's a casita in the back, one person lives in the casita. That makes co-parenting easy. Then the kids have a field day. The kids love it. They run back and forth between both houses. So if there's a casita, great. If there's a way for both people to live there and they don't get under each other's feet and it's a an amicable divorce and they're just living there until they can sell the house, okay. So you do have options even if there's no money in the house. I hope this was, I hope this episode taught you a lot. I hope this answered questions for you. I hope it was valuable. So thank you very much for listening because this is really and truly a big, big decision about the house. So if any of you would like to comment, I've got SpeakPipe as an option on my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. Please give me your comments. And if you can uh, lend anything to this discussion, uh, another option in dealing with real estate. I'd love to know about it if I didn't say it on on this episode, and we'll certainly revisit it. But listen next week as well, because uh, we're going to have a whole episode on with a mortgage broker on what to do if you if, if, if one person needs to buy the other person out. So thank you very much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. You know that. I want you to subscribe send this to your friends. But more than that, I want you to have an amicable day. Take care. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 